I don't remember what was said when I caught you two in bed. But now I sit here drinking shit beer, chasing Johnny Walker Red. Hi, it's been a little while. I wish that I could say that I went on vacation, but that's not even a little bit true. I had to have surgery to remove some irregular cells or growth or tissue or stuff from one of my breasts before it turned into cancer. I am fine. Everything's fine. I'm healthy and good. And the sky is blue. It's wonderful. But the surgery and all of the uncertainty that came with it put me in a real bad place. I did not relapse. But for the first time in years, it was really, really hard. So this episode is completely different. I've got to be honest, it gets real heavy real fast. But mostly, it's just a catch up to explain this last month and introduce you to two very special people in my life. I talk with July St. Juniper and Honeymoon Pie. They are my left and right hand women when it comes to all the burlesque shows, circus events, all the stuff that I produce. They are not in recovery, but they love someone who is. That's me. July has been my rock for years. She began as my intern forever ago and has since become my best friend and assistant and basically unofficial therapist. I wanted them on this episode because one, they nursed me through this last month. So there's no way I can do a catch up if you don't know them. And two, I always talk to the unravelers or to the formally unraveled. (laughs) This time, I guess I wanted to ask someone or to someone's, how do you deal with someone you love unraveling in front of you? They are amazing. I love them. I hope you love them too. Oh, and coincidentally, this month is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So hey, fill yourself up. It maybe might have saved my life. And so I don't know, maybe it might do the same for you. So just do it. Anyway, here's my talk with July and Honey. I hope you like it. And when tomorrow comes around, I may be six feet underground, but I'll still have one more now. I missed it. I missed having my, because I, I knew that you'd said you'd had like 10 episodes ready to go. And the fact that they weren't coming out, I was, I was sad. Oh, Okay. I felt kind of bad because I'm like, oh, this is my new project. I'm so happy. And then like when it went several weeks, nobody reached out. I was like, nobody cares. Well, I was, like, you were also for this thing and like, nobody cares. No. And that's the thing is like, because you're kind of an asshole for being like, so I know you're kind of sad, but I kind of need something to listen to. <laughs> so if you could be bothered to just put that up, I would appreciate it. But y'all know what's going on in a way that other people don't. So long story short, hey, let me introduce you. <laughs> <laughs> I am here with July St. Jennifer. She is my assistant and uh, I always say unpaid therapist. <laughs> Yeah, I think that is an accurate description. Uh, I'm the assistant producer of the Burley Q Lounge. I'm the artistic director of the Bayou City Burlesque and Circus Arts Festival coming this January. My primary role is probably graphic art and design. So if it's a poster or a thing online or a piece of art, I probably made that. It's a fun job. I like what I do. (laughs) And then we have Honeymoon Pie. Hello. (laughs) Honeymoon Pie is the uh, stage manager for the Burley Q Lounge, uh, a burlesque performer and um 
unpaid therapist part two <laughs> i'm there when july's asleep <laughs> okay so recap went in for a mammogram because i had a lump on my left boob they said come back in six months to a year because for all we know that thing's been there forever and it's totally fine so let's see if there's any growth and probably everything's fine i went back for my next one a year later and that lump was totally fine but a completely unrelated lump happened on the right out of nowhere and they knew that that was a problem because it had so quickly grown there was nothing there at the first one uh and they said that needs to come out now um it was very weird timing but i that's really wonderful and lucky that that worked out that way since it was not at all related to the first thing at all supposedly i don't know science then we made the appointment and my doctors were not fantastic that's uh that's putting it very kindly yes and so we made the appointment and then i never heard from them again i did not know i was supposed to have a pre-op appointment where they explained everything to me and they didn't reach out to give me one and so i spent um we'll say four months living in denial, waiting for the appointment to come up. And then one strong month in mind fuck of, I'm gonna go under a knife and I don't know how much they're taking. I don't know what the procedure is gonna be like. I don't, am I, do I have a boob? I don't know what's happening <laughs> in my life. Yeah, that's, that's a little scary. Yes, it was not fun. You know, there's that part of me that's like, I want to ask you, but I know you're already in this mind fuck space. It's like, you know, the week of the appointment, I was like, okay, well, maybe I should ask her about what they went over in pre-op. And so I know what to prepare for, you know, so I know what she's going to be going through and like to help me be there for her more. Uh, but, you know, that other part of me is like, man, no, I wonder if that'll just stress her out to talk about it more right before it happens. And uh, yeah, I guess I, I, you know, I psyched myself out of asking you about pre-op, which ended up being a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's fair to say that because, yeah, you also know I like to hide from things. That's what I thought it was because I, I had asked you questions and you go, I honestly don't know. And I was like, OK, well, she just doesn't want to know what's going on. <laughs> She's doing that thing where she lies to herself and everyone around her. <laughs> if, if it wasn't a recurring thing. Yeah, I think I would. <laughs> I think I would have been a little bit more like pushy about that but yeah like I can't blame you it's a scary thing and I it's sometimes you just are like just get it out and I don't want to worry about it I didn't mm -hmm. realize that you just had incompetent doctors yeah and and honestly that's a you know the ostrich the head in the sand thing is a uh, a legitimate coping mechanism sometimes when you're you know you, you're going to a surgery you have this thing they basically mm -hmm. tell you it's inevitable you have to do this or you're going to get cancer mm -hmm. I mean there's that honest part that like, you know, I, I've been through surgeries in the past and there's a point where there's no return. You, you know, you're going to have to go through a surgery mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it. And you're as hopefully as informed as possible, which again, they drop the ball on um, and you just sort of let it go. And so I figured you were in just let it go phase because you, you, you just can't overthink it. It's, it just makes you more miserable. <laughs> Yes, and I wish I had been in that. <laughs> um, I didn't know this was, I had never had surgery before, so I didn't know that was the way things were supposed to happen. So I was just um, very, very sad and confused 
and didn't have information and yeah people would ask like oh so are you going under and I'd be like I, I don't I don't know <laughs> which is which is absolutely insane to me that like you basically I came over to stay with you the night before the surgery and you had barely just been informed that they were going to you know local versus general no or whatever. no they didn't tell me that either no all they told me was the time oh my god <laughs> yeah that, no we, oh i didn't god. know i was going under until we got there okay so to clarify july was took me to the hospital and took care of me no no no. i didn't find that out the night before i found out what time i had to be at the hospital the night before i didn't find out until me and you were yeah. walked into the space that i was going under you're right i think i just assumed because you had had a, a worry about intubation like the the tube down the uh, down into the lungs or whatever. Yes. And I figured since they were doing that, that's something that they only usually do when someone is put under general. I was worried about that, but not because they told me that, because my roommate, he asked, are you going under or not? And I said, I don't know. And he brought up, if you go under, that they put a tube inside of you so that way you can keep breathing. And I had a panic attack almost. I stopped myself when he said that because... Um, when I was a teenager, I had my stomach pumped and I did not know that him telling me that was going to be an instant trigger. And I was like, what? No, 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 they can't do that. They can't put a tube in me. And he was like, well, they have to so you can breathe. <laughs> and I was like, nope, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> and um, yeah, that again, the most information I had gotten about being put under was from my roommate. <laughs> I thought they had told you that in your pre-op appointment and that's why you had brought it up. Like that's where that whole, you know, again, I didn't want to over talk about it because I knew it was a fear that you had, understandably, um, you know, besides to be like, hey, it's going to be okay. You'll be asleep when it happens. You'll never know. Like I figured they had called to tell you, okay, we're going to, you know, be putting you under. You're going to be intubated when you're under. Um, yeah. Did so that, they put a tube in me? I don't think so. Okay. And, unless they did it when you were in the operating room. And I, I don't honestly know if that's standard well, that's procedure. I, I, yeah, I would have to ask uh, anesthesiologist. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Oh, man. Okay. So <laughs> month of mindfuck leading up to it. Um, <laughs> also, you have a, I didn't realize quite how deep your hatred of hospitals or fe it's, it's legitimate fear. Mm -hmm. It's a fear of hospitals. It's layered. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's super it's very layered because I feel like someone listening to this would be like, well, I would care more about myself to, to you know, if they didn't do that, I'd do whatever yeah, I would have called them. I would have been an advocate. I'd been yelling at those nurses. Mm -hmm. But yeah, because, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. So then I guess backing up to why I have a fear of hospitals. I uh, had two suicide attempts in high school and um, didn't work, <laughs> as you can tell. I'm glad. Yeah. But yeah, I was uh, going through stomach pumping, super traumatic, uh, painful stuff. Then being uh, temporarily committed into a uh, mental hospital because they have to do that when you do that. And um, yeah, so I've got some issues with hospitals. Um, it even when I when we went for the biopsy, which July wonderfully came with me, that was super, super hard because the whole time I am trying to not cry while this thing is happening and I have to tell myself, they're doing this to help me. They're doing this to help me. Like it's just, it's just repeating in my head over and over. I am so lucky to be here. I am so lucky 
that they are checking this, that I am being taken care of. Right. I, I have to psych myself up and to be like, this is a wonderful gift that I am here. Right. Because my instinct is to push them off of me and run away screaming. <laughs> in, a, in a hospital gown. In a hospital gown. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's the get the fuck off of me. Uh, yeah I, I i get a little animalistic <laughs> a little bit and as i told july i was afraid of punching a nurse and it's that's something i know about myself but i didn't really realize until because i don't i haven't gone to a doctor i, I mean I, haven't, I don't go to hospitals <laughs> for fun <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> this is another thing i casually do um <laughs> So I didn't realize that that was a, an unprocessed trauma until all of this started happening. I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be and how my instincts would be to punch people and scream and run away. Well, that's why you're doing the podcast. You're, <laughs> you're digging in. You're digging deep. Yeah. Um, one thing I thought was... Uh, it was really poignant uh, was when I can't remember if it was you or July that was telling me that a huge trigger for you was when they put a bracelet on you with your name. Oh, I guess July told you that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't say that. Thanks, July. You're talking about me behind my back. <laughs> I just yeah. felt bad. It It's it's very like just such a little thing. And mm -hmm. I, I just to think about it's like, oh, yeah, that would be. That would be a lot of baggage on like on a very on an item you don't think about. Yeah. Yeah. I just I remember um, when we first got back and I put you in your bed. It's like the first thing I wanted to get off of you. And I know like that's probably me projecting because I also don't like the little band thing. There's just something that's very hospital about that to me. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like to the point where I don't even like wearing like VIP armbands and stuff to, to places because it triggers that memory for me. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, when, when we got home, I, I I don't know if you remember or not because you were still under anesthesia, but I was like, do you want me to cut that off? And you were like, yes, please. You know, because I remember when they put it on you in the hospital, it was at the same time they were doing your IV, which I imagine, you know, then they're putting that bracelet on you at the same time on the same arm. And it's just, I know you were going through a lot of sensory stuff and mm -hmm. God, you're a fucking trooper, dude, because. Yeah. This isn't a funny podcast. <laughs> it's okay. We're working through it. I'm going to edit it. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was that was a lot. Um, and again, I'm super, super grateful. And the sum it up. Everything's fine. <laughs> yes. Everything's good. They got everything out. All I have to do now is go in every six months uh just to get mammograms just to make sure that there's no growth but right now everything's fine and there's no reason for me to believe it's not going to be fine um i am healing up and things are things are looking up <laughs> um but yeah that was part of the mind fuck is i've i've built what i've built based on a burlesque career my boobs are part of that <laughs> right i think breasts are a big thing for any woman it's, yeah oh, I, I think you can say like you can attach your career to it and livelihood and all that but I feel I there's 
dozens and dozens of books written about like the breasts and what it means, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just this huge symbol. Small symbol for me. Small symbol. <laughs> Small. I do remember the conversation. Guys, what's going to happen if they get even smaller? <laughs> what am I going to do if they're uneven? Yeah. And it's and I know you felt bad because like it's well I'm alive so I shouldn't care but there was mm-hmm. still that like There's guilt in caring about that yeah I'm sure that's a common feeling is like you don't want to feel guilty for caring about that because I'm alive and yeah. I should be happy at the same time it's it's your body it's your experience and that's still fucking scary yeah I mean I think it harkens back to the whole you know point of the podcast in general is that everyone that you're probably speaking to you have your own struggle that you're going through and every person has their individual struggle that they're going through Mm -hmm. and everyone has their own individual way of healing and actually I think that's one of the interesting things about a project like this is that you hear different people's methods of healing and I think it's kind of interconnected in this way of you're you're talking about this other type of healing that you're doing in conjunction with your sobriety and you know I think that it goes back to the point of it's okay to feel sorry for yourself sometimes and it's okay to, you know, not be okay mm-hmm. <laughs> so that you can work through those things without falling apart. Speaking of falling apart. <laughs> uh, no, it should be actually more about being okay, not being okay. Um, so the surgery was on Tuesday and we had a show scheduled on Saturday. Because you like to do that to yourself a lot. I did. This show was scheduled like a year ago. Our calendar dates are set. But you set your surgery date. I called and they gave me the available dates. I didn't choose. I wasn't like, okay. yeah. Do you have one next to my show? <laughs> it wasn't. I didn't like think. That. That you, I didn't think you chose it. Like, let's see. But I don't know. I just feel like that always happens to you, and it might just be because you're really freaking busy. Oh, okay. Okay. I have a lot of shows. Yeah. Okay. You I do. thought you were saying like I did that for fun. No, no. You do that. That just seems to happen to you all the time. Oh but it's just because you're always doing things. I should have not done that. I should have had a fill-in host I should have not been there um I knew it was gonna be hard I knew physically okay they're going to be doing a thing to me but you know I just won't carry things it's cool but I didn't know the emotional toll it was going to take on me um both the actual surgery and the processing of past trauma I think I could tell myself it's fine. I'll, you know, this, it's a distraction. <laughs> this is good for me to go do these things. Um, I'm sorry. It's what you said. It's okay to not be okay. I don't know how to do that. I know. <laughs> I'm just like, no, no, no. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'm just got to do this thing and it'll be okay. And it's impossible to tell you otherwise. <laughs> To be fair, you might have known had they given you the pre-op consultation. Or actually actually legitimately scheduled your post-operation follow-up so that you knew what to expect and that it would have been the week of your surgery so you would have had a you know post-op after or before the show. Yeah, it's nothing. Or happened. had they given you your pain medication. 
Yeah, there's a lot of things that didn't happen. I'm not even getting into it on the <laughs> podcast. There's a lot of post-surgery stuff that didn't work out. But um, but yeah, just the just let's pretend all that stuff happened the way it was supposed to. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know. I I didn't know that it it was going to put me into that that mental space. Once we were there and trying to organize everything and all that stuff, it was really hard. I did not want to be there, and that this is the first time in years that I spent all day and night trying not to drink. I have been good for so long where, you know, people say like, oh, is it hard? I'm always like, no, like it's, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want to be hungover. I don't want to feel icky the next day. I don't, I don't crave that stuff. I'm cool. Um, the entire day and then going into the actual during the show and everything all I kept thinking was if I got fucked up right now nobody here could judge me because y'all knew what was going on the venue I get the bartenders everybody knew because they're all wonderful they're friends they're our family you know they knew what was going on and so there was just like this, um, which doesn't make any sense because you guys were so supportive and wonderful. But there was this like anger of like, fucking try to judge me. If I drink right now, I fucking dare you. And so that's all that was spiraling around. And I did not, <laughs> as you know, you didn't. You did not. I don't think you told us the day of that you were having those thoughts. And it's sometimes hard because you're very um, aloof on show day. And that's fine. You know, we uh, like I know I'm very close to you, but I know on show day that I give you your fucking space because that's you need to be in your own headspace. You know, I was like extra, I don't know, hovery and mother hen more than I usually would be on a show day. But uh, yeah, there's this like other part of me that's just like it's not my it's not my experience i don't understand empathetically because i haven't been through sobriety the signs or what to look for and i like i know that sounds silly or whatever to be like what could have i done to help you so there's always that worry that it's just like oh shoot i could have helped her more or been there more or done something more but yeah it's yeah <laughs> it's it's hard for me because I knew you were going through, you were going through all that. And I, I guess like, even though you were surrounded by people, you were alone and that, that does really hurt. I'm sorry. And I know there's nothing we could have done. Like I, I know logically there's nothing we could have done. And I, I definitely don't think I would have stopped you if you like, as sad as that is, like, I don't have sad. it in me. Like I wouldn't <laughs> have stopped you if you would have grabbed a drink. I would have been upset with myself later but i promise you couldn't have stopped me i okay. don't even don't feel bad for yourself for that okay i assure you it would not have been possible okay fair enough <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i probably would have tried to drink it while you were holding it <laughs> yeah because you've done that before and it didn't work yeah i know but you, you do you, you actually did that multiple times 
to me when I was like, when people were giving me drinks where you would try to chug them to stop me from drinking them. And I called you out and looked at you and said, I know you're doing that shit. I'm just going to go drink more at the bar. Don't fucking do that to me. Yeah. You made me so angry when you did that. And you just ended up drunk and not <laughs> saving anything. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I think she probably took the first drink to help quote unquote help you and then the rest of the drinks were just because she was fucked up <laughs> yeah yeah no you it's i i don't want you guys to in any way have that like what could i have done or anything like that because you were there <laughs> you did all the things you know you came with me to the hospital and you drove me home and you let me stay at your house and took care of me and you know y'all you did all the things um that's just processing that's just my brain you know <laughs> i'm sorry don't apologize that's 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 a lot like to go through things not only emotionally and mentally but physically like you and you couldn't sleep like i knew you weren't sleeping on top of everything else mm -hmm. and i know um you said you you felt depressed like you physically felt like like you were when you were really depressed and mm. dealing with like deep depression. So I, and that's how you coped with depression. Yeah. I'm really thankful, grateful that I didn't. But, um, you know, when I was in it, I don't even remember if it was the day after the day before. It's all kind of mushed together. I remember talking to you on the phone, July, about it. And I, I'm not saying this is true. I am throwing out a hypothesis. <laughs> a lot of the, I don't know, material and stuff on recovery talks about how it's not about the drinking. It's about all the things that led to the drinking. What things are you not processing or running away from or whatever. The experience at the hospital just bubbling up all of those things from the past a lot of not really great things has have happened in my life we have we don't need to touch on all the things <laughs> but it 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 brought a lot of stuff to the surface and put me in a not great place and so what i told July on the phone was <laughs> maybe it's okay to not want to process some things. Maybe if the option is be drunk or be a broken, sad person staring at a reality that is too hard to handle, perhaps, <laughs> um, maybe drinking is not the worst thing in the world because it keeps you going and again i am not saying that is true especially considering that there are people in recovery listening to this and like, oh. <laughs> she's right kiki approved i'm not saying that i'm not it's 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 i'm just saying that i was in a dark enough space for that logic at the time to make sense to me
processing is hard it's a lot easier to numb it but the bad thing about being numb is that you wake up again and you have to relive the microcosm of whatever put you there in the first place and i think that's the painful reality of that cycle is drink to forget come back remember drink to forget Mm -hmm. it's painful enough watching you have to go through that um you know i just I, i know that there's that part of you that's like oh if I just went through that again if I just numbed it out it would feel better but I know there's that other part of you who feels guilty for thinking that because I know you overthink everything mm-hmm. it's just this terrible cyclical experience and I think all people who are who care deeply for someone who's going through that it's just it is this like helpless feeling but it's also this feeling of it, it's the question you always want to ask is like how can I help you better and no one ever really has the right answer for that Mm-hmm. You know, no one can answer that for themselves because it's like, you know, at the moment for you, it might have been get me a drink. Mm-hmm. So it's this, it is this really big, difficult thing. I think that's probably a, a lot of a, a common experience for people who are close family or friends or whatever of people going through addiction is just this question of like, you're obviously trying to help yourself. How can I help you help yourself and all of those things? So, yeah. This is definitely not one of those things they cover in like the 90s cartoons that we grew up with. <laughs> yeah. I don't. It was just... Drinking's not cool. It's not. Well, I mean, sometimes you just want to forget, kids. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really break it down. <laughs> no, not really. It doesn't cover all the finer points of alcohol abuse. At Kiki on Twitter with the uh, episode of your favorite 90s show that covered this that we forgot about because <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there is one. <laughs> Maybe like an episode of ALF that we never watched. <laughs> they all like figured it out in one episode, though. <laughs> I'm taking way too long to get this down. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, it's been 30 minutes, Kiki. Yeah, it's never like Punky Brewster at the end of an episode where she had something very traumatic happen, looked over at a bottle of Jack Daniels, <laughs> and then it just ends. Yeah. Um, I think I shouldn't have been there. I also think that nothing would have stopped me from being there, though. Yeah, I know everyone was very glad to see you. I think everyone, not that you should ever base your actions on the crowd because they want you to just take care of yourself and we all want you to take care of yourself above everything. But I know the crowd was so positive and I had so many people coming up to me and asking if you were okay. And I know you had probably a ton of people coming up and asking you, but I I had a lot of people that were afraid to you know, bother you. Yeah, I was say, not many people asked me actually. Really? Yeah, I guess they asked y'all. <laughs> yeah, they asked. They a, a lot of people asked us how you were doing. Do you and, know what's like broken brain? Is that in my head I was like, people think I'm faking because I'm I'm here and I'm like running around and still like on stage. Like they no. think I'm a faker. Oh <laughs> man, no, <laughs> no. So at the shows, I am up front at the merch booth greeting people as they come in. So I see all the regulars and everyone. And uh, yeah, anyone who's been to our shows more than once was like, how's Kiki doing? Is she okay? It was very whispered like this. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to upset her. (laughs) You know, I don't, I don't want her to think we're like, you know, you know, it was, it was very like sweet, cute. And, you know, like lots of private messages about where to send you flowers and things like that. And yeah, no, trust me, people, people asked. (laughs) Well, that makes me feel better. Y'all didn't tell me this has been like a month. <laughs> I really would. I mean, you guys know we, we do so much social media for the shows and there's not a whole lot that one besides just mentally not being able to like, I was just like, 
everybody thinks I'm a liar. They think I'm full of shit. People were sending you <laughs> things. I know, thinking that I'm a liar. You're so broken. Uh, yeah, like know. I'm gonna send her this this <laughs> just cute to little make her cactus. Feel bad about lying. So if she's faking. Oh no, <laughs> it'll have to look at her in the eye every morning, and she has to think about what a faker she is. <laughs> I know that that is silly, but I think it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're that's that's part of the other thing working on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so there was something else I did not expect, which is a different new thing. Uh, it's a lot harder to do the, the show must go on with so many regulars when it's people I don't know out there power through. It's just like fucking whatever. I don't know these fuckers <laughs> go on stage, <laughs> smile, smile, clown, clown, everything's good. Go backstage and cry. Like, you know, you've seen it. <laughs> um, we have so many regulars now. They they knew what was going on. And so when you walk out, it was so hard to not just be like, y'all know I don't really want to be here, right? We're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is funny how, like, you're right. Like, it does change the dynamic. Like, and, like, at the show, it was definitely, like I said, the, like, whispered, is she okay? Like, you know, I'm so glad you were at the hospital and, like, nice, beautiful things like that that made me feel very nice. And it's that thing of, like, oh, this is a different feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying there. Yeah, it was the... the it's, it's good. No, it <laughs> you know, good. It's, wonderful it's wonderful that we had that support. And- but it was just broke down the... We spend so much time building up with what it's what we do doing the you know the burlesque. It's a lot. A lot of it's built up on the glamour and the escapism. We sell that we we're, we are selling an escape from your problems. Yeah, we want people to come and have a great time and just forget forget the rest of the world and just be entertained for two hours. The veil of that was dropped, and it was a big like, "Hey, everybody, I'm having a problem." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, again, because I'm in the audience, so from the audience perspective, and I know, you know, I know you, so I, like, can read your faces and your gestures a little bit more than, like, you know, probably the average person, but, like, again, I think it was your fucking week of soldiering through because, you know, you did what you always do. You have a stage energy that even at your quote-unquote worst, you know, you're still freaking amazing, and I think that, you know, it was heartening for people to see you, even if it was difficult for you to do. You don't, you don't get to hide. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but you didn't, you, you were even having a crisis of letting people know, like letting people in like that. Like I remember the, you did a Facebook post that kind of laid out everything. Just like, Hey guys, uh, update. I'm scared shitless right now. <laughs> yeah. And that that's why you were worried about it. I'm guessing is just because you knew you would be accountable to people when you you went and did the show, mm-hmm. and also you were worried about it making you look like you were just trying to get sympathy. Yeah, it's because you're broken. <laughs> it's yeah. So because I didn't tell you this, and I'm sorry about that. One of the uh, one of our regulars came up and was talking about how she was so worried about you and she was very glad to see that you were you're doing okay and asked first if you were doing okay but Mm -hmm. she was glad to see you there and uh 
she was like, I, after she posted that, I was just so worried. And I was like, yeah, she's actually worried that people were going to think that she was just being dramatic. And she was like, no, she never posts anything like that. She never lets people in, which is funny to me because I feel like you're so honest on stage that yeah. people think that you're... That but, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you lay out everything on stage. It's like, like... Surely she's making all of this up. And no you're not. <laughs> you guys, she's not. <laughs> As I'm sitting like mouth agape backstage where I'm like, well, I guess everyone knows about that now. <laughs> yeah. It's a good mechanism, like defense mechanism of like, if you tell them all the things, they think they know nothing. <laughs> I guess that everyone knows about short arm guy now. Did I tell you Poor I found that his arms. arms weren't short? Yes, you did tell me that his arms were not short. He just was, in fact, a tall man. He was man. taller. So it made it appear. It doesn't make sense if it's not in person. Yeah, make sure you tell our, our regulars next month the update <laughs> on short arm man. <laughs> I'm not gonna. <laughs> it's the one thing I'm selective about. <laughs> Stop what talking shit about the guys i'm dating what going back and and, and like correcting yourself <laughs> and, and i'm not a newspaper honey <laughs> <laughs> correction fake news fake news kiki's giving fake news about short arm men that she dates <laughs> Do you have to like post a corrections from the editor up at the merch booth yeah. every month? Like, yeah. here are the things Kiki apologized that has changed since our last set of jokes. Yeah. It's not even about apologizing. It's about like, I just learned. <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. I was way wrong about everything. <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> so y'all remember backstage when i was drinking all the time but like really sad when i was going through all the the accident and all that stuff oh wait but you had just started so i didn't we didn't really talk nope i always saw fun running around kiki and then i always had to go home early because i worked mm -hmm. and i never saw like i always heard the funny stories oh like funny passed out kiki we had to drag her home uh, ha, ha, ha. yeah it's so silly she's <laughs> she did the silliest thing that's silly goose she's so wacky yeah i wasn't the one you know july started her internship and she was the one that you know nursed your hangovers and everything i got scrambled eggs in bed kiki <laughs> where i didn't know what to do because i was like a square straight edge kid uh I'd never experienced drunk people before. Um, so I, I thought feeding you was the proper thing to do. I mean, it was. So I, was, I, was, I had you in bed and I was trying to feed you cold scrambled eggs <laughs> and help you to the toilet if you needed to throw up. I put a water by your bed. I don't think you could reach it. <laughs> and it didn't bother you that this happened like every time you came over? Like, it, didn't, it didn't register that this isn't normal? I remember when you first started, we had intern naps where you would arrive at my house. To be fair, that was just because you were both lazy. <laughs> no, I was hungover. She would arrive at my house and then we would take a nap because I was hungover and she was sleepy. <laughs> you know, I have like a, a sleep disorder and I just thought, oh, maybe I'm not so like weird after all. Maybe everyone just takes like random day naps we're not enablers we're just fucking stupid <laughs> <laughs> we 
we joke about intern naps now, but like, oh, that's why they stopped. <laughs> I started waking up in the morning. <laughs> I do things now, July. And now I groggily go through my day without my intern nap. <laughs> so you don't have to bring back the alcohol. <laughs> but if just we have to get rid of these harsh working conditions, Kiki. <laughs> <laughs> Naps are we unionize. <laughs> if you want to go back to intern pay, then we can have intern naps. Yeah, I for I I forget that it was like right when you first started was when all that like stuff was going on. So well, I mean not the stuff but like the um peak <laughs> peak psycho <laughs> was right yeah. when you first started. So you you just kind of got the peripheral of it. And July got the cleanup of it. <laughs> well, yeah, and you were surrounded by alcoholics. Mm-hmm. It was very easy for you to fall into that and for me to not realize that this isn't just how, like, people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was de- it was definitely normalized. So it's like, yeah, if anything, like, you were the weird one. Oh, definitely. Drinking. Um, to give a little background for your listeners, uh, I grew up in a Mormon-ish household that had no alcohol in it none of my relatives really drank um and all my friends were squares and like gamers so yeah i didn't do anything so this was my first real exposure to anyone drinking so it was just like okay this this must be no y'all were very good at no this is normal Mm, this is normal yeah this is walking around with like a tumbler full of vodka (laughs) (laughs) it's glamorous (laughs) I mean, yeah, but there's this whole experience of like, oh, okay, so this is like what normal people do. Like when they go to bars and they drink, this is how pe- this is how people who drink are. Because I, you know, I have this, like, I didn't have the exact same upbringing, but I, you know, Southern Baptist kind of like real insular, you know, not drinkiness. Mm. And, uh, you know, we wasted our 20s not doing anything interesting. So, uh, yeah, it was just, it was easy to just accept like, oh, okay, this is, so this is what like bar life is. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's these exciting, vibrant happy entertaining people because you know that's what the burlesque world is mm-hmm. yeah you you thought you guys were not were the not normal ones walking into oh this is what normal life is like yeah it's like okay burlesque equal alcohol everywhere like mm-hmm. that's what you do and and then, and then we were both such lightweights we couldn't keep up <laughs> i don't know if that's a good thing to say or not I mean, no, you didn't. You didn't drink at all, so of course you're not going to keep up. <laughs> yeah. Why would? How would you keep up with someone who's drinking for ten years? <laughs> I remember one of the first times we met you. I gave you a bottle of uh, Honey Jack. Oh yeah, I thought it was so drink. sweet. Yeah, it was yeah. your favorite drink at the time. I thought it was so cute and so sweet. She's, um, yeah, just burlesque equal equals alcohol and partying mm-hmm. and not talent for a long time (laughs) i mean it's true it's true like yeah like i actually um just today somebody tweeted me uh it was old man wade i he said uh at kiki maroon i didn't know your decision to be sober was so recent and i said ha that's the opposite of what most people say because i was on the whiskey brothers podcast while i was sober and people were like wait 
you were sober during all that? And I was like, yeah, it's been like three years. <laughs> so I thought that was strange. But he said, uh, you started a brand, maintained it, and continue to grow. Most alcoholics I see take longer to do as much as you do. And I'm like, yeah, but the brand started nine years ago. It was garbage until a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. <laughs> I mean, it was. It was. And it's like, the, and I said, um, the timelines are not a coincidence. <laughs> I mean, I, I like, I, I remember um, when you were just starting to, get sober or you were just starting to make that decision because I think you've mentioned in a previous podcast that we were driving to Vegas together and it's like that whole like driving through the desert at night kind of thing of mm. having existential conversations under the stars yeah. you know it's just like that solidarity of like oh I don't want to just party and have fun I want to be a business and do this legitimately and foster my own talent and the talents of others through trying to legitimize this as a business versus a party model mm -hmm. you know when you switch over to decide i want to be more professional about this or whatever it the, the polish shows through in the timeline of oh guess what i'm now gonna focus the energy i spent drinking on running a business and creating an empire and mm -hmm. it feels like five years later but you know i know it's only been three or whatever but you know yeah it's see y'all didn't drink so you know time goes by so slow <laughs> like days are so long if you don't drink they're like forever yeah i feel that on a spiritual <gasps> level I, I i don't know if you have to have comparison for that no you do, do you, you do okay because when you drink you're you, you time travel it's totally fucking different and so when you just suddenly stop and you realize how fucking long days are it is really jarring i'm not See, that sounds insane to me but i heard you on a podcast talk about this because i listen to your podcast oh, yeah. um but yeah you and were I talking who i was talking to they were agreeing i'm sure they yes like they were just it was and it was that like yes like that deep like agreement literal yes yes yes, yes. It, it, and i i'm just like i have no idea what that's like like i like it seems like time goes by so quickly if you if you start drinking we'll just be polite and say it's 7 p.m <laughs> we'll we'll be real conservative and say 7 p.m let's say i woke up at 12 fucking math it's 17 hours of drinking well, I'm just saying, if I start drinking at 7 p.m. and I wake up at noon the next day, I have either been numb, blacked out, or asleep for 17 of 24 hours. So seven of the 24 hours you were sober. Waking time. That's so a lot of the point, time. Yeah, yeah. This is terrible math. We <laughs> no, none of this was correct. No, but, but like a quarter of the day, I lived. That's not good yeah and that, and that was normal that that was life for a long time so when you suddenly have all of your day you're like what the motherfuck is going on i remember when when it first started just like how you looked you would i would come over in the morning and you would be like i am so productive like i feel like i heard the word productive 10 million <laughs> times and i'm not like i'm not no, upset about that right. uh, yeah you're but right. like yeah it that was your mind. favorite word it for like a mind. year <laughs> Because I was like, we are doing things. And we did. We were, you know, it was, it's, it's funny because like, I think the first year of your sobriety sort of like lines up with, within the first year of starting the Bayou City Burlesque and Circus Arts Festival, mm -hmm. but BCBC, uh, you know, so it's this, that was hard work. I mean, yeah. that was. Well, that's why it happened. Like it would, yeah. it, it would not have happened 
Yeah. If I was in the same mind space. And if I was drinking, it wouldn't have happened. We couldn't have internapped our way through that. <laughs> no, no ma'am. No. See, I thought I wasn't progressing in burlesque because I wasn't blacking out enough. <laughs> I remembered too much. It wasn't a matter of practice. <laughs> Just imagine you going home, like lining up shots, like gotta rehearse. Gotta get ready. Gotta these, rehearse. These like, girls are making me look so bad. Start your montage. In <laughs> On like a weird sort of level though, I think after we started doing that kind of stuff in burlesque, I think that's the first time we ever had a bottle of alcohol in our house. I think it's just for me, the, the perspective of having never been in, a, in or around a performing life suddenly being cast into a performing life, how quickly our baseline changed. Not to go too into it, but I kind of had like a thing. I was out with burlesque people and they were drinking and we, well, we were all drinking. It was fine. And we were out of town and in this rental van. And then it was time to go meet up with these other performers. It was like some festival or something. And it was like, okay, who's sober enough to drive? And the mm-hmm. drunkest person picks up the keys. Oh, my God. And their name isn't on, like, they're not the one who rented it and is going so fast that I, and I was in the passenger seat as they're driving, and I was so sure that we were going to crash this rental van into a parked car. And this idiot that I had gotten in the car with was going to possibly, you know, I don't think anyone, either of us would have died, but I could have been hurt severely and we could have had this like giant bill to deal with god and that i've never had that like sobering yeah that this that's the scene the cops in the mirror yeah yeah that moment and that was like i don't want to be here anymore (laughs) on so many levels i don't want to be here i don't want to be this i don't want this anymore and that was when i realized that there's not a correlation to drinking and level of performance. You had no part in that story. Yeah, I was like, I've never even heard that story. Yeah. It it took, yeah, it took a while before she told me. Um, yeah, it was it was really hard to hear because there was a time when like I she would like drink a whole tumbler of whiskey every time she performed. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, again, because of our experience beforehand of never having had anything to drink. Uh, you know, that was like, it was strange to me to see her habits changing. I think the thing that held me back was honestly that I was on a lot of medication that it was really bad for me to drink on. So like, it, I just had this block in my head of like, don't go too far, don't go too far. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, and then I was around you when you were trying to get sober. And for me, it was like, okay, well, I don't drink anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, not a hard transition. I, I realized that there was a moment where she stopped drinking as much. She wasn't doing that like pre-ritual anymore yeah gotta take the shots before i go on yeah and then Mm -hmm. many years later she told Mm -hmm. me this story and i realized that was the correlation of of when this happened and like i'm so glad you got out of that part of it because it's not a good path it's just not Mm -hmm. and this was post you flipping a fucking truck but it's just like no i'm not on that level Mm -hmm. like it's fine it's Mm -hmm. fine it just that i let myself think yeah, that's the one to have the keys mm, that you were okay with. Yeah. yeah, that I was okay, that I'd let myself let my guard down enough to let that happen mm-hmm. was enough of a kick in the ass to be like, okay, fuck that yeah. moment for me. Yeah. I Who do you did. think drove? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it was totally afterwards, just like, just like what? 
Mm-hmm. And it's just like, bitch, you nearly slammed into that car. Mm-hmm. And it was just nothing. And then it just kept partying. And I was, the, it, I don't know if it was just like being in the passenger seat. That yeah, I was lack of control. Right she, she could have a false sense of control of yes. the situation. Lack oh. of control. Absolute lack of control. I, I didn't like it. I didn't mm-hmm. like it at all. I realized like I would take that shot to get, you know, it's like, no, no, no. That just gets the wiggles out. That just gets the, you know, the people don't normally get naked on stage out mm-hmm. so I can do this. And then I realized just like, no, this, this, you mm-hmm. just, it's better just to get over it on your own. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you if you have to drink to do it, no, you shouldn't be doing it. No matter what the exactly. thing is. Exactly. <laughs> Going on stage or having sex with terrible people. <laughs> I mean. And honestly, like, I know the reason I didn't tell people because I, like, I just felt like it kind of made me a pussy. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, you just can't take someone drunk driving crazy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like, it still might be. Someone might listen to this and just be like, that's not a big deal. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I just feel bad because we don't. We're just squares. We don't have cool like stories. I, I didn't want y'all on here to tell cool stories. I wanted y'all on here because you were around for what was going on with the surgery and all that stuff. And it's just like was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was a lot more than I thought. I knew you were going through. I feel bad sometimes because I don't have that past experience and I don't know the right things to say sometimes as a as a friend to someone who has gone through all that and slayed a lot of demons and it's extra weird because I look up to you still in so many ways and I, I see you as this strong amazing person I don't know it's 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 hard to see you vulnerable and also think of you as such a like a badass <laughs> you're like a strange human dichotomy of like the most badass bitch on the block <laughs> who will cut anybody and uh do anything and a kind of bravery that I'm only just now trying to learn. And it's funny, again, like we said earlier, but you can be on stage and basically talk about your life in an extremely frank way and you make it funny so people are laughing. But there's that also that undercurrent of, oh, no, you guys don't know, like this is her legitimately talking about her life and her struggles. And that's part of what makes her vulnerable while also being a badass. And I think I've sort of had to, I I think knowing you so long and on such a you know, intimate level of working together so often that I've been able to easily marry these two creatures of like, your vulnerability is part of your core strength. The fact that you're able to be honest and open and talk about your struggles completely earnestly and sometimes painfully makes you strong. And you can tell me like the saddest or worst thing that you're going through and it doesn't change how I view you as a person or a leader because you're both of those things at once. Thank you for telling me that because that is my constant fear that I'm not, I should not be telling you these things because it's making me like a bad leader for the productions and everything. And it's like, well, (laughs) if she's falling apart, why are we here? (laughs) It's interesting because you have all these, you have all these opportunities and you, you have so many projects that you're working on and I know you're going to do. So it's like one week it's a, you know, big show with 2000 people and the next week, I'm like, oh, she's probably crying in the shower right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it has nothing to do with alcohol. <laughs> Got a lot of processing going on. <laughs> but again, it's, a, it's the same thing. You it's make like, me sound so sad. 
Yeah, edit that out. <laughs> no. No, but who like but who doesn't have those moments? Like liars? Yeah. Because, exactly. Yeah, it's I think the fact that you can say, yeah, I cry in the shower sometimes or I have a bad day and I, you know, fucking call you on the phone and like tell you how horribly wrong this one thing has gone. And then like minutes later, I know that you're online posting about the show or you're, you know, booking something or you're, you know, doing some other like task that's part of your daily existence. You have these bad things, but you have to live. It is, but I live. Yeah. It's I just realized just how weird it is. Not to say that any of your posts are fake, but a lot there is like, we got a show coming up and different things like that that people you know people feel weird about posting because it's like oh like I'm like self promotion I'm self promoting, and the one that you the post in the last month that you felt weirdest about was the one where you dug deep within yourself to kind of just like hello friends let me lay this out here for you that was the one that you were like they're gonna think i'm a phony <laughs> not the one phony. where not the one where i'm photoshopped <laughs> with a weave in my hair <laughs> people don't usually post photoshop pictures of themselves on facebook like the majority of facebook users let's just be clear we, what were we talking about baseline it's not my baseline. Right. No, I I understand, <laughs> but it's still funny. I understand. Yeah. But I mean, in a funny sort of way, like a lot of times people would look at advertising or whatever as uh, uh, pandering or, or fake or whatever. But like, I think we've had many conversations where we've talked about, like, I think we all honestly love what we do so much. It doesn't feel fake when you care about what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I do care about what I do. I don't know why. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. Um, well, thank you guys so much for doing this. I really, really, really appreciate it. And I really, really appreciate y'all and love you. And thank you for taking care of me when all of that was going on. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for letting us in. That was yeah. really big on your part. Yeah, yeah. thank you. And you can't see, but hands are touching. <laughs> I love y'all again. And when tomorrow comes around, I may be six feet underground, but I'll still have one more. That was July St. Juniper and Honeymoon Pie. We have hugged and cried and sobbed way too much this month. Um, I gotta be honest, listening to this was kind of painful because it hurts my heart to hear them feel guilty for me wanting to drink. That is absolutely not their cross to bear. They are the most loving, supportive, wonderful people. So it's crazy to me that they feel that way. But also, it's really weird to hear because I have a habit of wanting to save people too. So hearing people who love me ask stupid questions like, what more could I have done? When I know goddamn well the answer is nothing. You can't do anything. It's it's hard. And it really puts a spotlight on my own tendencies, too, because I know deep inside, no one can save me but me. I either want this or I don't. So what the fuck makes me think that I could ever save anyone else? I can't. It's not possible. But I can do one thing that July and Honey do. They love and accept me and tell me that I'm strong, even when I don't think I am. So I can love and accept you 
and tell you that I know you are strong no matter what you think. You would not be here if you weren't. So, enough of that. (laughs) I promise that next week's episode won't be so damn sad. Everything is good now. I promise. (laughs) I have some great interviews coming up. I really, really want it to be weekly again, but it's possible that it may not be while I'm getting everything back on track. If you have any suggestions of artists that I should reach out to, please email me. All the info is at clowninterrupted.com. And if you like the theme song, please consider purchasing it to support the artist who so graciously is giving me permission to use it. His name is The Last Domino. The purchase link is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I love y'all and I will be back next week. Now it's the last call for heaven's train. If only you weren't too late. <laughs> yeah, we got it.